Hello and welcome once again to episode 894 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So word on the grapevine is that you started using actors. Oh yes, started as in I've used a single custom actor, but yes, I did. I did start using them and it was an interesting, um, I don't know, I spent maybe 45 minutes to an hour just kind of researching researching them a little bit. So what I I guess I was trying to do was uh, I was working on a vapor app where um, I basically, I I don't even know if this is the right solution, but what I Googled came up with an actor and so I was like, I'll try it cool mm-hmm. um let me pull it up so i can remember exactly what it was that i was doing i think the biggest thing oh yeah the biggest thing was i was trying to make it so that i think okay sorry i think i didn't need this for what i was trying to do but i was i was looping through a bunch of uh items that i needed to do some concurrent work on and i basically just wanted to stop the next one from happening until the last one was done and so i think i was using an actor um, I've got a couple things in the actor, but I think the biggest thing was that I basically just had a Boolean to act as a lock to say whether the next one could go or not. Um, mm-hmm. But I think my interesting thing with that was um, everything, all of these interactions with the actor, I had to await everything, um, which makes sense because it's, it, you know, it, only one thing can access the whatever the resources at a time. And so I, I thought that was interesting. I made a comment that I was like awaiting everything. Um, and another interesting thing that I, again, it makes sense now that I've, I've, I've done it, but it was weird that I had to, for example, uh, make my own function to, uh, set the value. At least that's what it seemed like to me where I couldn't do it. It, it gave me an error. I can't remember what the error was, but, uh, like trying to do something in a non-concurrent or in a concurrent context. I don't know. Anyway in a different context. And so it made me, I just made a function that was like set this, this Boolean. It was a one liner, but it had to be within the, the actor itself. And then I awaited that for it to actually set the value. Um, so yeah, it, it was interesting. I think I, the closest thing that I can compare it to is when we would like make a cache at Lambda school and we'd have our own, uh, internal queue, dispatch queue for that and it would kind of do the um it would just dispatch sync everything and make sure that it was all hunky-dory concurrency wise so um if that's similar to what it's doing and i'm sure dimitri will get into that um it's nice that it's you pretty much just put actor instead of class or struct and it basically handles all of that kind of the uh background workings of concurrency for you um so yeah, that was a little rambly, but that that was has been my about one hour of experience with with actors so far. <laughs> that's that's interesting that you couldn't uh, modify the property director directly. Uh, like I have to admit, my own experience is sparse at best. Uh, like especially touching every aspect of the Swift language from a concurrency point of view. Like I mm-hmm. don't. I think you should be able to say await uh, actor dot property equals something. Maybe like I just didn't await it. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it was just that I didn't await it, and that was the problem. Um, yeah, anyway. But the the concept of actors is cool, I think. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they they definitely make it very easy to have shared mutable state. Uh, and if that's a bunch of gobbledygook words uh, in your head, that basically means uh, that multiple things can access an actor at the same time, and the actor will make sure that only one actually has access until uh, it finishes, and then the next one can have access. So you don't mm-hmm. end up in a situation where everything is reading a value uh, at the same time and then modifying that value uh, potentially uh, doing stuff simultaneously that shouldn't be done simultaneously. So you can go ahead and guard um, certain access patterns very effectively. For example, if you wanted to toggle a Boolean, uh, you don't need to, uh, in the code, in, in like your calling code, you don't need to go ahead and read the Boolean, and then if it's true, make it false. If it's false, make it true. If you did that across three different things all at the same time, who knows what's going to happen? It's not necessarily going to go from false to true to false to true. It's going to potentially do all sorts of different things because uh, the time that that Boolean is read might be different than the time that it is written to. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the that's the key piece to, to keep in mind. So uh, actors, make sure that you have a mechanism where you can have a single function called toggle, for instance, uh, that would make uh, it so that way all the callers can toggle the value um, and potentially get back what it was at that point in time. Uh, but the end state of the actor is going to be consistent no matter how many things uh, access it at once, uh, as if things were accessing it one at a time. So uh, right. it's it, it's a pretty significant departure from what computers used to be like as soon as like 10 years ago. Um, like it really was very recent that we had computers with multiple processors as the norm, right? Um, right. That can have access to memory at the same time. And it really was, before that, just cheating. Just as like saying, oh yeah, multiple things have access to this, but not really. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it was just like one one CPU that was just intermixing multiple threads mm-hmm. and saying, okay, you get some cha- a chance to do something now. Okay, you pause, now you get a chance to do something. Uh, and that was how things things went. And therefore, I would say as like a whole, uh, developers <laughs> everywhere... Uh, we're kind of unprepared for uh, like a true multitasking mm-hmm. uh, and uh, like true to us as humans, like we fail at multitasking uh, and therefore we fail at communicating multitasking to computers as well. Uh, so this hopefully gives us uh, some good, some good, um, uh, a good repertoire of things that we can use to communicate what we want without running into the gotchas uh that are like everywhere right yeah for sure um and maybe one of the i don't know if this is necessarily one of the gotchas but what you were saying earlier made me think i remember i had a a student i think at the first boot camp i worked at where they we used um for a little bit we used firebase as sort of like a back end whenever they wanted to um you know, have any server-side information, um, off-device information, and then we moved to CloudKit later. But I think with either of those, um, he probably would have run into the issue where I think he wanted to have, like, a social network type of thing where you could, like, post something and then see the amount of views that um, were on, you know, a post, let's say. can't exactly Mm -hmm. remember what it was. But I think one of the issues was uh, him trying to figure out how to increment the view counter 
well because it was on the server. And so, you know, if it was, if it was like 12,000 views and then you say plus one, but you've got a bunch of things doing that at the same time, then you'd end up with 12,001 instead of like 12,005, right? So Yeah, that's the ultimate concurrent like operation, right? You have two different computers, yeah. uh, one on the server and then many on the devices, and they're all trying to say, hey, the, the view count is higher because more people are currently viewing, right? Yeah, so with this that I'm doing right now with Vapor, it, I, it's an actor and I've deployed it, so I know that it's like or, uh, actors work uh, already with... Um, well, server-side Swift, but like just non non Apple device code, like it's it's yeah, open source, I guess. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. a it's a part of the language, right? It's not a part of like foundation or anything. So, uh, as far as I know, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's a that's a big departure as well from other server-side technologies. Like, if you wanted to run a server with uh, Python or Node, what you actually end up having is multiple instances of that server running. Like, oftentimes you have as many as one per core of the machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those instances are different programs. They do not communicate with each other. And therefore, you have no shared state um, that you can rely on at at any point in time. So uh, one one significant difference between Swift and those those different frameworks uh, is uh, Swift-based servers tend to be one one process uh, that is running... Um, and every every core instead gets a run loop that is processing events uh, like simultaneously, but not mm-hmm. independently. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what allows you to have shared state really easily without running a completely different process like Redis uh, right. that can go ahead and act as that shared mutable state on your behalf. Uh, but then you have to deal with crossing process boundaries um, and having all sorts of inefficiencies there. So that's like a really cool thing. Uh, that Swift is enabling in the server world that most people just don't consider unless you're writing a server in C++ um, mm-hmm. that is is available to you and really simple to use. Like as uh, as you probably like saw, all you have to do is sprinkle a weight everywhere. But as long as your uh-huh. calling context is a weight uh, is async, then you're mm-hmm. you're good, right? Um, like we're we're really hoping. Uh, like I don't know if everyone's hoping for this, but uh, I kind of find myself hoping that the app development scene is going to get that littering of uh, async and awaits at every oh. like point uh, oh, yeah. that code can be called from. Uh, because at that point, you can go ahead and have a lot of fun doing stuff without even thinking about like concurrency for the most part, especially like if a button is pressed, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. Like SwiftUI makes that a little bit easy with dot .task, um, like on the view itself. But I can see that going much further. And it kind of falls apart, of course, with UIKit and delegate callbacks and all that. Um, and that kind of brings me into one of the first gotchas of the new Swift concurrency system, especially when we're so used to GCD like being a queue-based system where you can uh-huh. have serial queues and you can schedule things. A lot of people might assume, hey, actors are kind of a queue. It's shared mutable state. It's just like you were saying, Spencer, where you have... Mm-hmm. Uh, dispatch queue dot uh, async whenever you're accessing stuff uh, and yeah. you're doing that on a queue and that queue does things in order and everything's good right uh, well it turns out that's not true at all like actors <laughs> and tasks uh, have no uh, guarantees whatsoever in fact they actively discourage you from thinking about them this way 
that things are going to run in the same order that you dispatch them. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is a huge uh, gotcha with uh, Swift Concurrency is that there are no serial queues uh, that are given to you out of the box. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. <laughs> it's been interesting with the stuff that I've been doing with Vapor where... Um, I don't know. It's it's been a little bit of a learning curve to learn async way, although it's been ultimately fantastic. But some of the things that I've been doing are like you know, uh, writing a for loop to either fetch or save a bunch of stuff, and that for loop, like you're saying, there's no guarantee that it's going to be, um, I guess, any of those are going to be processed in the same order that you start them on. Um, but then you've got like task groups that I think kind of facilitate that a little bit. Um, I think you have uh, I, it the opposite. So task groups oh, will will run everything all at once. Whereas if you have a four wait, that will wait until the previous like task is finished before starting the next one. If oh. that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. Although what I've been do- doing is like not for awaiting, but just doing a normal for loop, and then within the loop, I've been awaiting. But maybe that doesn't make a difference. That's basically the same thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Uh, let's step back a tiny bit. So it all comes down to when a task is dispatched. And what I mean by that is when you make a parent task. So when you say task, open curly brace, uh, Mm -hmm. you do stuff and then end curly brace, the execution of code just continues. It doesn't run that task right away. It just schedules it to be run, which it might run right away on a different thread, uh, but it's not stopping your current execution. You're not suspending at that point, right? Right. That's like dot async. Yeah. Um, and if you have multiple tasks, so you like make one task, uh, you do stuff, you close the curly brace, you make another task, you do stuff, you close the curly brace, you make a third task, you do stuff, you close the curly brace, there's no guarantee that task one is going to run before task sure. two, which right. is going to okay. run before task three. Um, like They can run in any order. In fact, task three might be the first one that starts off. Um, mm-hmm. And this is to prevent an issue called priority inversion, uh, which has plagued GCD. Uh, whenever you want to try to get fancy saying, oh, this is a, a, yeah. a user task, therefore it should uh-huh. run faster, and then you suddenly shot yourself in the foot. Yep. Uh, so that is impossible with the Swift concurrency system, because if you say that this task is a user task, um, and it depends on a much lower priority task, it's just going to run the lower priority task because it's a dependency for the mm-hmm. higher priority one. So it's just going to go ahead and do that um, and not wait around for you to... like put things in the right order that they need to be. Um, however, something that we're tremendously used to uh, with GCD is having a serial queue and then asyncing to it three times and expecting that although we're not going to stop right now, we're still going to expect that those three things are going to happen in the order that we called them, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going to expect the first one to finish before the second one starts because it's all going to the same queue. Um, but there's no concept of queues, uh, so therefore that whole mentality... Uh, falls apart um so there are a few ways of dealing with this and i I kind of hinted at one of them and that's to make a dependency so for instance uh say you're starting you have your first task right task actually returns a handler um, and that handler can be canceled or you can await it uh to get the value out of it and that value is whatever's returned um, and therefore you guarantee that the task is finished before you get a value out of it. 
Um, and the neat thing that you can do with this is say, uh, you say let task one equals task open curly brace to do some stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. Even if you're not returning anything, that task will still have a value that can return void, basically sure. nothing, but you can await it. So you can say the await task one dot value, um, and that will like wait for that value to be processed before continuing. Um, of course, you can only call this in a in a concurrent um, uh, in a concurrent context, uh, sure. which is the error that Swift that Swift concurrency always throws around at you. It's like you're trying to use uh, this method and it's not available in a non concurrent context. Uh, so what you can do now is say let task two equals task open curly brace await task one dot value and then start the stuff mm -hmm. in task two um, and then close your curly brace. Let task three equals task open curly brace. Uh, await task two dot value do stuff for task three and then close that curly brace now it doesn't matter which one starts first say uh task two is the one that starts first um and then immediately after task three is starting on a different thread okay um so task two is gonna see that there's an await task one so it's gonna start up task one and have mm -hmm. that do yeah. finish what it needs to do um, meanwhile, task three is going to say, oh, I need to wait task two and task two is still running, but it's not finished. So task sure. three is just going to suspend until mm -hmm. task two is finished. So now you, you've got the order that you need. You have task one, task two, and task three, um, that are all happening. Um, and it turns out this pattern is really easy to do in an actor. You just need to hold on to the previous task. Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to make sure you wrap tasks in a cohesive way, meaning that you don't have tasks that throw mixed with tasks that don't throw or tasks that return a value mixed with tasks that don't yeah, return that a value. Um, all that's going to fall apart if you, yeah. if you uh, do that because the tasks are strongly typed. There's no any task. Um, you have to just like wrap a task in a task that doesn't return anything and a task that doesn't throw anything and you have mm -hmm. a any task. Um, but that is that is a way around that problem where you don't have any cues. And it's, it's a useful tool that I find myself reaching for a lot because it's a very common pattern to expect a queue out of something, right? Yeah. So I think, I think I'm thinking old school here, so I don't think this will work, but um, if you had, uh, so like another way of, of making sure that things <clears throat> happen kind of in the order that, or I guess an older way of doing it is using like an operation queue and setting the max concurrent um, operations to one. So, mm -hmm. Is operation Q, um, is that the right, now I'm, yeah. Is that the right thing? Operation Qs? Operations? And op yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, has that been updated to use async away or is it? No. No? Okay. All right. Yeah. It, it's it's still completely based on GCD and that makes GCD, sense because okay. it's, it's a library provided by the system um, and it's not necessarily something provided by the language itself. Um, sure. Yeah. But it mirrors the Swift concurrency system a lot more than uh, the GCD like base library does. Because GCD mm -hmm. doesn't really have that concept of dependencies. Like, you can do sure. it. Um, it's just going to be a, a whole lot of work to not shoot yourself in the foot. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Swift concurrency kind of has that by default, but then doesn't have queues. So you have to do extra work for queues, sure. uh, which is a bit of a shame. Um I, I myself made a helper uh, called task.serial um, that oh. could, uh, it's, it basically works like task, except it will have a global lock on a global resource uh, that is the previous task. So that means that you can go ahead uh, and just 
in your UI code have a bunch of test.serial, 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 um, and each one will wait for the previous one to finish. Um, now, this has some separate problems, namely, if any one of those tasks takes a long time, it's going to uh-huh. hold back all sure. the others uh, because it's it's now a queue. So, yeah. um, like that's something that you do need to think about. So, you might not want to use that, that very sledgehammery approach and make something more tailor uh, made where you make sure that the heavy work is sent to a quote unquote queue that just like listens for the previous task. Um, but the lighter workloads don't necessarily wait on that. So that's all dispatched separately. Uh, and that's a good way around uh, that limitation. Then you don't have to necessarily have everything uh, be queued behind it. You can have some asynchronous bits and some synchronous bits, if that makes sense. Yeah. My my next comment was going to be, I'm sure someone's going to make something to make that easier so you don't have to track it. And that someone was you. <laughs> so that's, that's great. Um, makes total sense it, i was just thinking like kind of seems like a little bit of a pain to like have to keep track of those between uh tasks so yeah i i'm sure you thought that too and you've solved it already <laughs> yeah and turns out i solved it in a slightly broken way because it turns out using uh, uh unfair locks in swift is not obvious and i only realized that once i like shared my solution so uh i did get help uh to kind of make that better so i'll share some i'll oh, share cool. a link in our in our show notes with the the final version of this on the swift forums uh so that way you can learn about it um but uh yeah that that is one sledgehammer approach to getting that kind of system going though if you have an actor it's much simpler you don't have to have the locks mm-hmm. um and you can have a much more contained queue uh that is specific to that actor um to make sure that things go in order when they need to mm-hmm yeah, concurrency, man. It's just like, just when you it's, think it's it's simple, it gets you one once again. It's so hard, man. It's crazy hard. It's you know, looking at like GCD and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good system. And then like async await comes around. I'm like, this is a really good system. But then you know, like we just talked about, async await has some trade offs, and so does GCD. So uh, even if let's, I don't know when GCD came out, in 90s, 80s, or something, but. It's been no. at least it's, no? it's much newer than that, yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like well, a year either... or two before the iPhone or something. Okay, so it's at least or 10 years after? old, though. Might be after. I don't know. It's like, 10, we'll say it's 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that people have learned a lot. And, you know, I think overall, async await is a much better approach to concurrency, at least from a um, implementation coding standpoint. But, uh, man, it's it's getting concurrency right in everything is is so tricky but um yeah it's it's interesting that you mentioned the um the whole thing with um like server-side swift only using one cpu and stuff and that seems to be the case for most of the time but um just looking at um i i've said this before but looking at my vapor code before uh async away and now it's like it's so much more enjoyable to write concurrent code because that's everything. It, literally everything I'm writing is concurrent um, mm-hmm. just by nature of it being server-side. Um, it, it's awesome. I love that we're kind of at this point. It makes it much, much more uh, friendly to dive into and, and use ultimately. Yeah, and as long as you are not necessarily starting your own tasks, like everything is going to run in order. Um, yep. And that's the nice thing about async away is it guarantees that. Um, so it's only once you start like making parallel work streams that you need to think about this. 
mm-hmm. um, and make sure that they are happening in, in an order that you expect, um, especially when you are dispatching them from a synchronous work stream, uh, right? Which is typically from the UI. Sure. Um, some real-time feedback uh, or follow-up. Uh, GCD came out in 2009, so it's two okay. years after the iPhone. So it's very, very new. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and good riddance because it had a whole bunch of problems <laughs> that everyone kind of... Uh, no, I, I say that with with love because I, I did use and love GCD for yeah. a very, very long time. But uh, its patterns encouraged like bad practices, um, namely using queues as locks. Although mm-hmm. it was much nicer code... Uh, it's a poor locking mechanism, like things like that. Um, and turns out the locks still are poor locking mechanism, lo- a poor uh, code expression. Uh, like that did not change, but uh, using actors is a much better locking mechanism uh, than yeah. uh, using GCD. And it was, I mean, I can't exactly remember off the top of my head, but I remember learning like it was fairly easy to deadlock yourself by syncing and asyncing in the right in oh, the yeah. correct wrong correct but wrong pattern right so there yeah there there were dragons yeah and i'm not saying you can't deadlock yourself with sure. like swift concurrency like i'm sure you can make a a cyclical task lo- uh, like dependency um and oh, you can really try hard uh to, to mess with the system especially once you start using continuations and stuff like that um, but I think the goal is unless you are using continuations and unless you are using locks, it's very, very hard to kind of get in the situation where you are kind of messing up. Um, sure. and therefore all you have to deal with are, uh, bugs and not crashes, um, which tend to be better, but not, are not always the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going down my list of, of, uh, Mary gotchas, um, we have async stream, uh, and async stream is actually a good way of having a serial like dispatch mechanism. You can add to a stream, um, and the work items that you add will be added like one after another. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, there's no guarantee that uh, the things in a stream will. Uh, how, how best to say this? So the work in a stream. Uh, is processed like in order like the the return values yeah. but the work itself is not guaranteed to be processed synchronously if that makes any sense like it's so, a little confusing are you saying maybe i've got it backwards are you saying they're not guaranteed to finish in the same order but they'll start in the right order or the opposite so I think it's, and again, this is where I get confused uh, to, to, to tell you how, how useful tools these are. Uh, I think it will start uh, and finish in the right order. So if you were to loop on okay. uh, a, an async stream, you are going to get things in the order that they were added, um, especially the results. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I don't know if it guarantees uh, the actual execution to happen in the same order much like a task group uh can like run things all asynchronously and all in parallel Mm -hmm. um i don't believe it will run things in parallel but it potentially could uh Mm -hmm. and that's like my my asterisk when you are using async stream uh so 
in absence of good documentation with what it's actually doing. Uh, and what I mean by that is for all of this, you basically have to re- read the original pitches. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's the only kind of documentation that you have. Uh, the best thing that you can do is perhaps fall back to a system that makes more sense to you. So that's why I suggested the previous one where you can just await on a previous task. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will kind of do what you need it to do. Uh, but realize that that is not like a foolproof solution in all regards. Like there are other uh, ways that that's going to fall apart that I will introduce soon. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's really uh, interesting because although Swift Concurrency tries to make things simpler, um, it does by extension make things more complex because there are a lot of unknowns from the developer uh, with this promise of simpler, right? Yeah, it's, I, I was, I can't remember who said it, someone at work, I think, uh, but they were saying, and it, I think it's been echoed many times with like Swift UI. it's like, it's simpler, but it's also obfuscated. So it's harder in a way. And I think this is probably a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Where Yeah, simpler, but harder because it's obfuscated is a great way of like summarizing this. Um, like one such way that async streams can can gotcha, uh, got them, uh, is uh, the an async stream is an async sequence, and async sequences have like a hard requirement uh, that there's only one caller uh, at a time, meaning that uh, you cannot just assume an async sequence is an array that has all its resources that you can go ahead and consume twice. Uh, you can yeah. only really consume these things once, and the compiler doesn't really do much uh, to uh, help you like not make that mistake. Uh, so that's down to you to like use carefully um, and make sure you don't mess up. Uh, and something to to always think about whenever you are using an async stream or an async sequence uh, is to never call them twice. Basically, uh, always assume you can only consume them once unless mm. the documentation explicitly says hey this sequence is uh, totally safe to use twice um and therefore uh you are good to go gotcha yeah lots of like i mean the amount of stuff that i've done with async await has been i think a fair amount but it's also i know that it's been very like surface level and so getting into like async streams or any of these these kind of more uh in-depth things like still a little scary to me where i i it took me a while to get into async away at all but now getting into these things is like there definitely be dragons still even though i think probably less so but uh little little scary for sure talking about you know these these pernicious things that you need to think about but i i suppose that's how it is with everything i don't know yeah i mean one really nice thing about async sequences is they're very composable uh so you can easily write wrappers to do different things like for instance um the standard library provides uh, some ways of reading lines from URLs, so either bytes or lines. The lines is just a composed sequence from the bytes sequence. So bytes gives you one byte at a time. Um, and lines will just accumulate those bytes until you hit a new line uh, mm-hmm. and then give you back that result as a string. 
uh, and then wait again until it hits a new, another new line and give you back that as a string. Uh, you can write your own that chunks uh, data so that way you get uh, data that's given like one uh, one batch at a time until you run out basically. Mm-hmm. Um, like every uh, 124 characters give me a batch, uh, a chunk, um, which is very useful whenever you're writing like things like uh, uh, multi-part data uh, that is based mm-hmm. on chunks. Um, sure. Like that is just like a, a great way of doing that. Uh, the another thing that you can do is you can transform the data uh, as it's coming in into objects and just release those objects once at a time. And that's what my uh, my uh, library does. I forget what I called it. Um, uh, async reader sequence, I think. Oh. Um, yeah, and it uses bytes. So combined oh. with bytes, you can go ahead and tr- read like the bytes that you need um, and then go ahead and transform that into... Uh, an object that you can then return. So you can read an amorphous set of bytes, like one at a time, basically. And then once you have your object, you return that object, and then it will just loop and do that whole process again. Um, So that's a great way of consuming uh, that data as well. So there is a lot that you can do with async sequences. um, And Apple provides async algorithms, uh, which uh, is a way of using these sequences as event streams much like combine does um so you can go ahead and uh have things debounce you can accumulate you can match up and do all sorts of other things with sequences just with the giant caveat that you can only consume sequences once uh so uh they represent a never-ending stream Uh, like it, it very much is an infinite loop that can one day finish if it wants to um, so it's a very good event tap, uh, but if someone asks for a new one because you want it in a different part of the app, you need to make a brand new one, uh, and you need to make mm-hmm. sure whatever you're making it from uh, can be consumed a second time, uh, which sure. is where the the major like uh, downside of these sequences is is that there's no like great compiler way of like warning you whenever you try to do it twice. Um, and I think this will come eventually with the move-only types in Swift, uh, which can let the compiler like guarantee that uh, there's only one thing accessing a resource at once, um, and that should fix these sorts of things. But uh, yeah, it's for now you have to be careful as a developer, but they are really cool nonetheless. Um, and. So since async sequences have so many downsides, you might be wondering, well, like, let's just do what Dimitri said. Just use those, uh, use those tasks and uh, not need to care about stuff. Uh, yeah. So let me tell you why that's a bad idea, too. Uh, because everything is a bad idea in the end. Um, maybe Swift so concurrency was a bad idea. I don't know. Uh, I think it was a great idea. I love it. Uh, especially for Vapor. It's, it's super neat to use in that yeah. context. Um, but if you're, if you're in a, in a non- uh, super concurrent context to begin with, you're going to find yourself making tasks a lot. Sure. <clears throat> and you might want to make your own task, like you have a task that uh, needs to download an image from the server, download the key to decrypt that image, uh, and then once you have both of those things, marry them together and actually decrypt the data, right? Um, that might be a common task. Or maybe you have uh, a task that will download some JSON from the server, and then that will have 17 images in it that you want more or less as they come in. So then you want to 
in parallel, download all 17 of those images uh, and then make a collage out of them, right? That's mm-hmm. another uh, thing you might want to do where you might be in a concurrent context, but you still want to start subtasks, right? Um, now, there is an easy way of starting subtasks, and that's with async let. Um, and async let lets you uh, call into an asynchronous method and then not necessarily wait await on it meaning you can go ahead and let it start and then await on it later once you started all the other things that you wanted to start. Um, and what you are given back is a future. Uh, and I say future with air quotes here uh, because it's not really a future from your point of view. It behaves like a future from the li- from the, the runtime's point of view. But from your point of view, it be- it's just the value that you need. You just need to await it when you want to use it. Um, so that's the only difference there. Uh, but from a runtime point of view, it very much is a future. And what I mean by future, um, this is a type that is a placeholder for the real data. But if you want to actually access the real data, you need to suspend and wait for it uh, for it to become available. Otherwise, you just can't use it. Um, so that's that's where uh, those child tasks kind of fall apart. Um, and... Uh, they don't necessarily fall apart in that way, but you do need to have a handler if you want to wait on them at all. Like you can start them and then just ignore them. Like this is any task that needs to like write to disk. You don't really need to care if it succeeds or not because most of the time it will succeed. Like, mm-hmm. of course, maybe you want to care um, and present an error or log it or do something uh, somewhere. Uh, but uh, child tasks can can have some other benefits in that they will cancel automatically if the main task gets canceled, um, and they will they will do all of that for you. Um, this is different from when you make a task with uh, task open curly brace. Uh, that is not a child task. That's a top level task. Sure. However, it's different than task detached, which is a third type of task, um, in that it will carry over the uh, priority and uh, that calling context uh, from the parent that it's in. So what I mean by that, uh, if you said that a task is a user-initiated task, meaning it's high priority, um, the subtask that you call when you say ta- capital T task open curly brace, uh, that will use that same priority. In addition, it will use the same actor that you're currently in uh, to... Uh, to use whenever you're calling other things. So you'll have noticed in your actor itself, you didn't necessarily need to use a wait everywhere um, for the actor bits because the actor is uh, a context in itself, mm. right? Um, and that is made simple because tasks will kind of remember that calling context. However, task.detached will just straight off the bat say, hey, uh, I want to be started on a background thread. Um, and just like do me as fast as possible. Um, like you can set a different priority, of course, if there's a, a queue of tasks that need to run, um, that can, that can happen sooner or later, um, as a result of that. But, uh, this is a way of you saying that you don't care what the calling context is. You just want it to happen, um, completely asynchronously to what's currently happening. Um, order be damned, uh, in a way. I might have missed this, but then when you say when you have a task group, and you say like group to add task, mm-hmm. is that a top level one or is that a detached one or something different? So task groups are child tasks, um, and they okay. do this 
by making the child task themselves. And I will explain quickly how this happens. So child tasks are that very special type where you have async let, right? Um, okay. You have async let a new variable equals some concurrent work that needs to happen uh, for that variable to exist. Um, so that's what a child task is. And a child task is different from task with a capital T in that if it, if the parent task gets canceled, the child task will also get canceled. Um, so that's the key difference between those okay. two types of tasks. Um, now, child tasks do this um, automatically via the, the compiler. Uh, task groups are a way of simulating this by like saying, hey, I want to have a bunch of child tasks, essentially. They all return the same thing. Um, it's going to end up giving me an array. Um, just It's just going to sure. execute um, all at once. And then that array is actually a async sequence that um, you can go ahead and consume in order. But like even if things later down the line finish first, like you're not going to go and jump to that. You're going to wait for everything to happen in order in that, in that for loop, and that's going to make things simpler on you. Um, okay. Now, it makes these child tasks by having a task cancellation handler. So this is a very fancy uh, thing that instead of allowing you to just check, hey, did the task get canceled? You can listen for task cancellation. So um, this takes two things. It takes an asynchronous like uh, context that it's going to run, and then it has a non-asynchronous uh, callback that will be called when a task gets canceled. Um, and this non-asynchronous callback can be used to cancel anything you want. Uh, so, for instance, if you want to make a new task with a capital T, uh, a new top-level task, uh, then that will give you a handler of its results, right, um, that you can then cancel in the future. So if you save that handler, you can go ahead and cancel it in with task cancellation handler, um, and that will allow you to cancel your top-level task as if it were a child task. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I follow. So I think I follow it's, enough. It, it's, a, it's a roundabout way of making child tasks programmatically, basically, sure. um, when the only way that you could otherwise make them is with async lets. Um, and ironically mm -hmm. enough, every time I've thought I needed a child task, I ended up not like using it in the end. I always rewrote it as like a synchronous uh, operation, just because a lot of times it makes a lot more sense uh, for things to happen one after another, even if yeah. they could potentially be concurrent. Uh, so always keep that in mind that uh, concurrency is often not what you need uh, unless you really know you need it, uh, at which point you might want to just use task group because that's going to be the the batch like concurrent uh, mm -hmm. method of like running a whole bunch of things at once um, and not just like one or two. Like async let is when you have like two things that are well-defined that you need to run at the same time. Um, but Generally, that's not the case, right? Generally, you have like 50 things that you need to run at the same time, uh -huh. not one or two. Um, so that's where a task group uh, comes in. I'm interested to see. I, I haven't looked either, but I'm sure there will be some good books written on async await um, by the likes of, you know, Paul Hudson or like obviously.io or something. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I love like the obviously.io books because they go into some really good detail like on uh, like I was saying with um Swift UI it's like pretty magical and it just kind of like automatically you know it, it's a little hand wavy and it works but they go into you know depth on like 
how does like the view tree work and how is it that, you know, you can swap views and have it be so efficient and stuff. So if there was something like that with, um, async await to really, maybe I just need to read the, the, um, Swift proposals. I don't know. I want an easy way out of just like <laughs> write a book for me and, and do the hard work and put it all in one place. So yeah, there's, I think uh, they, it's, it's just I think they lot. already have a bunch of articles, uh, for oh, do it. They? Yeah, oh, cool. especially sequences, sequences I found myself referring to as well. Um, so they did a lot of that work, so there's likely a book incoming. Um, Sweet. So uh, Apple supporting the economy by not writing documentation. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's kind of good, but also first-party documentation would be good, too. <laughs> it's like, come on, Apple. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great that you're supporting the economy, but um, documentation, come on. Yeah. DDD guys, come on. Yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, needless to say, there's like a lot of got a lot of gotchas with Swift concurrency that you need to like keep in mind uh, as you start using it for more and more advanced use cases. But I do want to say you'll likely learn about these as you're using it, so don't sure. let these like scare you away from like using Swift concurrency. It is way better than GCD. It's just there are a different set of trade-offs, especially if you're coming from GCD and you like have it ingrained in your skull that mm-hmm. uh, like queues are a thing, and it's like of course they would be a thing in uh, Swift concurrency. Why wouldn't they be right? Like, come on, Apple, <laughs> same author of these two things. Like, you you just expect it to happen. Um, but yeah, they they are not yeah. the same. They have different trade-offs. They uh, solve for different needs. Um, and I do think Swift concurrency is like headed in a much better direction, considering that in Swift six, uh, the compiler will be able to tell you, "Hey, your asynchronous code is really borked," um, <laughs> and uh, that's like something that you'll you'll probably want to fix before uh, actually compiling this. Like, we're not going to let you just <laughs> even run it; it's it's borked. I won't uh, even let you. It's that bad. So yeah, Swift concurrency. It's it's great, but there there's uh it's it's not it's not GCD and don't mistake it for it. Uh yeah. and you'll have a much better time. And uh it'll only get better with time as the compiler continues to improve. Uh there are already a bunch of options that you can set like as warnings um that can let the compiler tell you, Hey, you're shooting yourself in the foot right here, uh and this will be an error in the future. Uh so you might as well fix it now. Um yeah. so looking forward to all of those um i I remembered like swift ui uh they've made it nice because it's like pretty intercompatible uh with gcd so you can kind of put it in at your own leisure um something at work we we you know we have a i think monthly meeting about just internal improvements and stuff and just talking about more developer e things instead of getting with the entire team Uh, our team's not very big in general the entire company uh, so a lot of meetings we just have with everyone. Um, but we've we've talked about, you know, wherever it makes sense and wherever, uh, you know, it's not like a potentially hugely breaking thing, try to throw an async away or Swift UI as well. Um, so, you know, you can kind of put things in at your own leisure, make sure they work okay, and you don't have to like, it's not like a Swift 2 to 3 conversion where it's like you have to change everything at once. It's like, you know, do it, do it a little bit at a time and that's, that's okay. So yeah, you challenge um, yourself to throw, throw in a task or two, uh, with some a- async await code if, if you can, not you, mm-hmm. but the listeners. Yeah. 
Um, and as I mentioned, like SwiftUI makes this really easy to get started. Like instead of on appear and on disappear, just dot task. Uh, and then you're in an asynchronous context, you can go ahead and start a task. And if your view is thrown off screen, it gets canceled. Like that's the super neat thing about it. So it allows you to use a big part of it just right then there, right then and there. Uh, and anywhere else, you can just start a task, capital T task, open curly brace, and then do your asynchronous work. Um, just keep in mind that don't try to use this with like delegates and uh, mm. other UI kit stuff. Make sure that it's like very asynchronous work streams that are going sure. into this. Uh, and if you do want to use it with delegates and stuff like that, you can definitely use like my helper task.serial to do that, um, which like takes care of like making sure you have a lock before you start uh, queuing up things from the main thread. Um, so uh, definitely give that a look. It's it makes incremental uh, additions of of Swift concur not Swift concurrency yeah not Swift UI uh, Swift concurrency easy in your UI. Um, that was a lot harder to say than I thought. Yeah, you're good. I got you. So this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Pennant. Uh, calling all sports fans. Want to keep track of the season, but there's so many teams and not enough time? Check out Pennant. Pennant provides sports standings at a glance. Pennant displays league standings as a simple bar chart where the best teams rise to the top throughout the season. Of course, you can dig in deeper uh, with team stats, game results, and more. Version 10 introduced the all-new customizable My Pennant View, which you can build a wide selection of visualizations for any sport, division, or team. Unlock Pennant Premium to add as many blocks as you'd like and put any of them on your home screen as a widget. Whether you follow MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, or MLS, Pennant has you covered with more sports and leagues coming soon. Thank you so much to Pennant for sponsoring Code Completion. Download Pennant on the iOS App Store today. So uh, I've had CarPlay on my car for the past few years, uh, and it's been great. I really like it. Uh, it's it's nice having a car that just continuously feels new in terms of its UI. Hmm, um, that's true. And and this is like expanded by uh, my wife's car, Lynn. Uh, she has a Toyota from 2014, I think, uh, and that one does not have CarPlay, and has a really teensy tiny display, <laughs> which is funny coming from 2014. Um, but uh, that has not been improving, uh, and it stands in, like, wild contrast. Uh, and it really does make the car continue to feel new um, as, as like, uh, parts of it uh, don't feel like they're just aging under you, uh, and they, <laughs> they, they are improving over time. Um, that said, I've, I've uh, gone tremendously jealous of the newer versions of CarPlay that have been added to vehicles um, that admittedly have not been added to most vehicles because car manufacturers. Um, but you can have wireless CarPlay, which is a mythical experience that uh, just works, where you can go ahead and uh, uh, walk up to your car, turn it on, and your screen is is uh, nice and up-to-date with your, with your phone. Uh, and I was like, I want that, but I'm not going to trade out my entire car for that. Um, not to mention, I don't think I, I'm not entirely sure Honda's like on board the wireless CarPlay train yet, uh, which is uh, interesting. Uh, and it's especially funny because my car has Wi-Fi, like for no reason. You can't even That's update weird. anything. It has Wi-Fi though. You can browse the web. <laughs> I found that very broken, but it exists. Uh, yeah. Um, like there's a whole like Android OS thing running to run the CarPlay. Um, so yeah, that's a thing. Uh, but, uh, 
<clears throat> yeah, so I wanted to try wireless CarPlay, um, and I was promised that by the internet, of course, uh, that this was a very straightforward thing if you wanted to do it. Um, and that was made possible by this neat little dongle called CarLink Kit. Um, this thing looks ginormous on Amazon, by the way. Uh, like, if you go ahead and search for it, it looks like it's going to be this ginormous box, <laughs> like uh, a hard drive from the 2010s. Sure. Um, but it's it's this little tiny SSD-sized dongle. Um, another, another silly reference to hard drives. Uh, I don't think there's an SSD in here. Um, but it's a, it's a little tiny, like, I don't know, I'm gonna guess yeah, Android, a yeah, little oh. thing, uh, that's running on the inside, and it plugs into your car, and it simulates a CarPlay screen. So, your car thinks it's getting a screen from CarPlay, um, except it's not getting a screen from CarPlay, it's getting a screen from this little thing. Uh, and this little thing invites you, say, hey, uh, go to your phone, uh, find the wireless, uh, the CarPlay section, and choose this wireless thing, and enter mm-hmm. this code uh, that's showing you on this way. And once you do that, from that point forward, this will go ahead and receive a CarPlay connection from your phone, um, which is just an H.264 stream, as far as I know. Um, like, it's it's the stream of video and then the touch events going back the other way. Um, so it gets the stream of video from your phone. Uh, wirelessly using the the same wireless CarPlay that your phone would otherwise use on a wireless CarPlay car. Um, And it will go ahead and turn that into wired CarPlay over the USB to your car itself. Um, And that wired CarPlay will go ahead and transmit your touches back to the phone. Um, And this works surprisingly nicely. So I just need to go into my car uh, turn it on, wait for that warning screen that says you cannot, uh, like, use this while driving. Um, that has a continue button that doesn't do anything, <laughs> like, yeah. until a few seconds. Like, a very, uh, very typical mandated uh, government warning kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, once that button goes away, um, depending, actually, if I tap that button, I do see the, the little CarPlay interface from this, which is not CarPlay, it's just, like, some custom UI that they have that says like waiting for connection. But if I ignore that continue button and I just let it go away on its own, which it typically does, uh, by that point in time, my phone has had a chance to connect to it um, and everything is just hooked up. Uh, So I, who have gone very used to plugging my my phone in uh, every time I sat in the car, uh, no longer need to do that. I just kind of sit and turn the car on and everything just kind of comes alive. And mm-hmm. that is really, really, really cool. It feels like Bluetooth all over again, except with fancy screens and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that I, <laughs> my car is almost as old as I am. And so I am not, uh, I am not, uh, uh, I don't have that luxury of even having wired CarPlay, but I previously, when I first got my car, I put in, it's like a 97 Civic, so it's like super old, but I put in a, you know, a different stereo in it so I could plug in my phone, my iPhone 4S or my iPhone 4 or whatever. You didn't want to get one of those cassette uh, No, I mean, I could, yeah, the cassette off things, those are cool. Those are like so cool and mind-blowing, but no, I, yeah, no, I. What a solution to a problem, right? (laughs) I spent a hundred dollars and got that, and it was cool. But then, um, a couple—I don't know, four or five years ago—I got just another stereo, but it has Bluetooth. And like you said, it's like Bluetooth all over again. That's what I have right now, and it's like 
going from just wired to Bluetooth is so nice not being, you know, leaving your phone in your pocket and just connecting and starting to play music and stuff. So that's super cool. Um, I was going to mention I, in my quest for CarPlay in my car, thanks Apple, um, for not letting me have that on an iPad. Um, I, I bought like a super cheap, uh, Amazon Fire tablet one time because that can run. Uh, there's a car or a, an Android Auto app, and then you use that same Carling Kit thing with that. And I don't know. I tried to make it work. It didn't work very well, but I'm glad that it's working for you. And that's I. I messaged Dimitri when he he sent a link to that uh, Carling Kit thing. I was like super interested to see how it worked because it didn't work for me at all. But I was using it in like a super janky way with an android tablet so I, I wasn't quite surprised that it didn't work for me either so yeah so uh one one uh downside to this car link kit thing uh one the name is kind of hard to say if you like use their approved capitalization methods is carlin kit carlin um, kit, yeah uh yeah not great um, but, uh, there are like a million versions of this on Amazon. So like <laughs> buyer beware, this is going to be confusing. Uh, let me, let me, uh, lay it down for you. So there's Carlin kit one and Carlin kit two. Those are old. Ignore them. Um, now there's Carlin kit three. There's like a big one. This is the big one. Little tiny thing. Okay. And then there's a mini one. I don't know what the mini one is, but this is mini enough for me. Just saying. Um, so I, I went with the big one. Um, and uh, you might be confused, like, why did you get Carlin Kit 3 when there's a Carlin Kit 4? Um, and Carlin Kit 4 takes Carlin Kit 3 and adds Android Auto support. And I'm like, I don't want an extra thing that I'm never going to use. So I'm going to yeah. just stick to the CarPlay-only version, um, which uh, is probably, like, all I'll ever need. Uh, so, yeah, Carlin Kit 4 has Android Auto like support in addition to CarPlay support, and that sounds to me like an extra opportunity for things to go wrong. So I, <laughs> like, uh, I decided to stick to the CarLink Kit Three thing, which apparently has much better like latency. I have not noticed any additional latency over the wired version. Like there is some latency just in sure. for the car's version of uh, CarPlay, so that that exists, and that I'm okay with. It's not the not the end of the world. Uh, like you can't pinch the zoom very reliably. Oh well, um, but uh, the actual like usage of it like no different than the wired version, so I'm happy with it. Um, now there is one more uh, thing that they have is Carlin Kit AI, uh, and Carlin Ooh. Kit AI uses the magic of non-existent AI uh, to give you a full Android Auto like puck uh, that lives on on this thing itself, so you don't have to have an Android device. Um, and this full Android Auto puck is uh, advertised to have full access to YouTube and browse internet browsing uh. and all sorts of things that I do not need. Um, so, and that is a thing uh, that um, I w it would technically be illegal, uh, and I am not interested in. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't want to be watching videos while driving. That's like dangerous enough as is. Um, like driving is dangerous enough as is no, no need for additional <laughs> distractions. Um, so I did not opt for that version either. Um, so yeah, Carling kit 3.0, nice little, little puck thing. Uh, great. Now one downside of my new wireless, uh, uh, escapades is I now no longer have a way of charging my like phone, like, uh, 
in that process of like using it. So this thing does have a pass-through USB, which does pass through CarPlay and charges your device at the same time, which is neat. Uh, but uh, my car, it's a Honda Civic 2017. Um, and part of like one of the accessories you could buy uh, is a Qi charging pad uh, oh, for right above the little shifter. Um, and this cheat charging pad that Honda sells is like 200 something dollars. And I'm like, mm, no, it's like cheat charging one, like the very slowest version. Uh-huh. So I, I like did a little research and it turns out there's a company called, uh, Chi car wire, car chi wireless.com, uh, car chi wireless.com right there. Um, so this is, uh, it's just a like piece of plastic that you can put right in that little tray it fits perfectly it's molded to like that exact model nice. and they have models for like everything under the sun like so. if i were to make a lot of noise uh you can see uh here like they have a version for like almost every car in existence that can charge via usb or like i guess the the little um what are those called cigarette lighters that's yeah. what it's called um, and it fits right there, uh, and you plug it into the cigarette lighter, uh, and yeah, that seems like it would work great. Uh, now, small, small minor problem with that. Um, I read <laughs> online, uh, through Amazon reviews that you can get faster charging if you use a faster, like, power delivery, uh, little, little cigarette lighter thing. Um, is there a better word for those things other than cigarette lighters? That's what I would call it. Yeah, the most I've done with that is burn through car seats accidentally, playing with fire, <laughs> um, and uh, not lit a cigarette with them. So, like, it feels wrong to call them cigarette lighters in my head. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, what was I getting at? Oh, so I got one from Anchor that does, like, oh, 30 or 5 sure. watts or something. And I'm like, I can power a laptop with this. This is cool. Um, so, it has two ports, one power delivery USB-C and one um regular uh one USB. regular USB A yeah uh and so i plugged this thing into the USB A one um and there is one issue with that like whole system is that if the car is started and i place my phone on the pad it doesn't seem to charge and it will only charge if the phone is on the pad before i turn the car on oh that's way weird yeah, so I don't know if it's that little dongle or not. It might be the one that just like made a ton of noise on the floor uh, over there that I need to use, and maybe then it works consistently. I still need to test. I got this thing like a day ago, uh, so I'm not gonna necessarily like yell angry reviews at um, at uh, at the the poor. What are these people called again? Uh, CarChiWireless.com people. <laughs> um, uh yeah that like what they made is is very nice it fits perfectly there's probably i'm using the wrong uh like spec of usb non-spec power delivery yeah. things uh so i'm gonna try with their with their like inbox little little puck thing uh cigarette lighter uh that does not have two usb cables so that's like the one downside uh right. but yeah i'm gonna give that a try and then i'll i guess i'll report back to see uh if that works any better um, but if the, if the downside is me needing to put my phone there before like starting the car, then so be it, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know why that's like, it's such a weird bug, right? That is like, super you, weird. It, it does charge and it charges seemingly enough to like increase the battery of the, of the phone over time rather than decrease it. So that's good. 
Um, if any, yeah, if anything, I was going to say like it would be maybe it didn't charge if it started with it on the like your phone was there and then you turn on the car and it didn't charge then you'd have to take it off and put it back on or something but that's weird yeah that would be more annoying but i guess i'm not supposed to be touching my phone anyway so there's like no reason why it would move um like the 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 thing is grippy so like it it stays in place which is nice um i haven't driven like a lunatic to see if it would dislodge yet um (laughs) but uh we will see one day when i decide to risk my life for uh mini review corner um that will <laughs> that will come up it's like oh yes it flew in the face of uh, my passenger as i took a sharp right turn and screeched the tires yeah. um so yeah that didn't happen yet so i don't i don't know like how grippy it's grippy enough for regular driving uh, which is what i care about um yeah. and like the space is confined like where's the phone gonna go um so i think it's it's better than my previous solution where uh, I had a lightning cable that was snaking through like the console thing to the USB yeah. port around the shifter and then down into the cup holder, um, which like I had plenty of mobility in my shifter and I'm not going to be hindered by the phone cable or something. Uh, but that was like not great because then anytime like my wife needs to reach my, my phone, it's like she now needs to reach over me while I'm shifting, which is not obvious, <laughs> not uh, not the best. Uh, so I, it's a much better cord-free uh, future that I live in, um, but like sometimes I guess it won't charge, which I guess will suck the most over a two-hour uh, long car drive when you find out at the end of it the nothing was charging and your phone is dead and there's no way to get it back via the wireless version and then you need to figure out some wired version and then be in the same can of worms that you were in before. Yay. Yeah. I was going to say, great, they have pass-through, so it's like that Carlin kit thing doesn't even do anything. You're just passing through and having the exact same situation you started with. So it's, it, it's actually a separate like device from your phone's point of view, whether it's wireless or not, uh, which I found hmm. interesting. Like I plugged it in uh, via cable first to so, like, register. I was like, oh, this works. And then I unplugged yeah. it and like, wireless is not working. I had to redo it oh. for wireless. Like I would have assumed it could like magically pair or something. Um, yeah so yeah i don't know if if uh if it needs to like i i should try that now to see if like me plugging it in is now the same device as the wireless version on my from my phone's point of view that would be you think so Mm -hmm. so yeah that's the carlin kit 3.0 uh if you have a car that supports carplay once again this will not work unless your car supports carplay Um, yeah, this will not work unless your car supports CarPlay. Uh, do good a try. I, I think it works quite nicely. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know when we go live. Uh, because I don't seem to tweet <laughs> when, we, when we release episodes. But I do re- tweet when we go live. So, uh, do follow us on Twitter if you want to, uh, catch us when we're recording uh and uh yeah watch it happen and the disaster unfold yes um and if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into feel free to tweet at us those as well because that helps us a lot uh as we continuously flail around trying to think of topics to talk about um so most importantly as I mean, a small podcast we're totally organized 100 percent all the time we've got a oh huge yeah i mean look at of- Look at this wonderful script I have uh, that we like. <laughs> we're on top of things, at least on an episode by episode basis. Uh, in between episodes, we flail uh, a lot. 
Um, so yeah, as a small podcast uh, that flails a lot, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. So I have a, a mini rant commented out. Oh, um, awesome. Awesome. The perfect one. So I, I have a second uh, thing that I could potentially have on a mini review corner. Uh, and that is the wonderful AC that I don't know if you can see from this vantage. Uh, but Hello. I installed a mini split over the past like many weeks. Yes. Um, and this makes this room wonderful. Like it has been an absolute like, OK, let's first let's first talk about mini splits because they are amazing. Uh, it's uh, a split system. So if you have ever kind of looked into how an AC works, uh, you have something that compresses uh, gas and then decompresses it. And when it decompresses, it cools down tremendously. It's like if you ever get a can of compressed air uh, and you, you use it a lot, the whole can gets frigid, right? Yep. Uh, and that's because the gas is decompressing and that makes things cold. Um, so it's using the laws of something, something, uh, to make things, to make things nice and chilly. Uh, and ACs abuse this fact by putting a fan in front of the cold thing and saying, here's magic cold stuff. Um, the (laughs) problem with, uh, the conservation of, of, uh, laws of thermodynamics, um, which is not the name of the conservation, but, uh, it's what I'm going with because I did not graduate in physics. I failed that. Uh, and uh, this is what I know. Uh, and this is what I'm sharing oh, today. Man. So uh, because of these conservation things, uh, because of these conservative gases, um, on, the other end, <laughs> on the other end of this uh, spectrum, you have a compressor, which is compressing gas. And when you compress gas, it gets very hot, um, right. which is the opposite of the cooling down effect. Uh, So global warming is actually caused by ACs worldwide blowing hot air out of the house um, because that's what it's doing. It's exchanging the hot air uh, that's inside and making it cool and then expelling the hot air out and causing global warming. Just kidding. That's not what global warming is caused by. Um, It's just uh, fun facts that ACs make the outside air hotter um, and are insignificant in the grand scheme of things because it's the electricity that you're using uh, that is causing the global warming, not the ACs. So if we were to 100% switch to renewable energy that does not use fossil fuels uh, that releases CO2 uh, into the atmosphere, then this minuscule amount of heating from ACs is not going to really do anything. So. I'll put that out there uh, before anyone takes my joke as a serious. Um, but, okay, so going back to a mini split, a mini split is a split system. So you have the compressor on the outside of the house. Uh, you have a bunch of tubes of copper that go inside the house, and one will contain uh, essentially compressed fluid of gas, freon usually, uh, and that will decompress inside the coils on the inside of the house, which will have a nice little fan that will blow it and circulate it. Um, and then uh, you can usually tell if there's a mini split if there's like this big hunkin' piece of plastic that's just sitting on a wall, um, and that's the whole AC. You don't hear anything. It's just a quiet fan that's just like circulating the air, um, and it will tell a unit outside to just like, hey, start compressing. And that's the thing that uses all the energy. It's not the little fan. Um, so one thing that I noticed 
We have a full house AC that like is major electron guzzler. Um, it will like if we have it on all day, it will easily consume fifty kilowatts uh, and more, uh, depending on how hot it is. Uh, so yeah, don't necessarily want to run that all the time yeah. because most of the house is cool actually. Like weirdly enough, uh, it's very well insulated, so we can survive ninety five degree weather outside, and it will be. I don't know, 82 inside, which is relatively fresh, and we don't necessarily need to use the AC, so we can save yeah. a ton of electricity for that. However, this room in particular has lots of computers, um, and lots of computers that um, are on for the most part because they are acting as like a file server and stuff like that, uh, and that generates a lot of heat, which means that this room in particular, being on the side of the house that receives the most sun, gets very, very hot, um, and is oftentimes 10 to 15 degrees hotter than the rest of the house, so... I don't want to run the whole house AC. I want to run a nice little uh, mini split. Um, so this nice little mini split uh, turns out is very, very quiet. So we have that whole house AC, as I was mentioning. That's like a big box that sits on a roof. Uh, that shakes like one of the other rooms to like no end. Like you can hear when this thing is on. Um, uh-huh. It's not, a, it's not a, a mystery to anyone. Meanwhile, we cannot <clears throat> tell if the mini split thing was on on the outside. All we could tell is hot air was blowing out of it. Like, you can see the fan spinning. You cannot hear the compressor, however. Um, so that was, like, a mind-blowing thing. I thought this thing would vibrate to no end on the outside. I was like, let's put it a little farther from my room so I can have the AC on and record at the same time, which is never an experience I've ever had. I've always <laughs> liked, let's turn off the AC uh, before recording because that thing was loud. Um, so now we have this nice little thing. Um, it's very quiet. It works tremendously well. Um now comes the problem. So I ordered this thing because on Home Depot, if you search for HomeKit Mini Split, uh, this thing is the only thing that shows up. And it says, has support for HomeKit, Siri, and all these things. Um, that is great. So I installed it. And I was uh, very wonderfully surprised to learn that apparently these people don't know what HomeKit is. Um, and not even sure they know what Siri is because... Uh, it has an app that you can use to control whether it's on or off, uh, and that's great. But that app is not HomeKit. Yeah, I, I, I have to. I have to remind uh, everyone that HomeKit is a specific thing, uh, and this thing uh, failed uh, to deliver on that promise. So, although I am more or less happy, I did want to like use HomeKit because I have a bunch of sensors throughout the house. I can automate yeah. certain things, uh, and this thing has internal automations that are based on like weather data outside that is not useful to me because i don't care about the weather outside i care about the temperature inside near my computers uh and i wanted to use that as the signal to turn it on and off uh so that way i don't have to have it on all the time uh so yeah that's that's a thing that that uh i feel i feel backstabbed by uh for the minorest things like i am very happy with the ac itself uh it is working fantastically uh and uh that is great however like yeah not cool to to promise one thing and not at all deliver um yeah yeah i um <clears throat> dimitri mentioned this a couple of uh or kind of talked about this i don't know a week ago or so and I've, I've been thinking about it and i realized that my um my garage door opener the, mm-hmm. the thing that opens my garage i don't know the whatever um it's like internet connected and there's an app for it, but it's not HomeKit enabled or anything. 
but um, there's something you could look into, which made it so that my garage door uh, could be opened through HomeKit is called HomeBridge. Um, and you've probably already looked into it, but that's something that you could do to see if there's like a HomeBridge plugin to, um, if, if there's an app for it, maybe there's API that, you know, that could kind of be the literal bridge between that and HomeKit to make it mm-hmm. HomeKitified, even though they lied to you. So yeah so i homebridge you can run on any computer or does it have to be on like a raspberry Pi or something um i don't know about on a mac i run it on my um you could probably uh, you could definitely run it on a raspberry pi and if you don't have one i can send one to you but let's see because they are raspberry pi is under like short supply they're so expensive right now it's ridiculous they're selling for like well shortage right yeah they're selling for well over what they should be. Oh, no, it looks like you can run it on macOS or in a Docker container on macOS. Sweet. So I so. have computers that are heated, internally heating, that are going to run a system that are going to cool them down, and hopefully that's right. nothing will go wrong. That's that's the circle of life, baby. <laughs> if they self-melt, that's their fault. <laughs> so it's an option. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There, it, it support, <clears throat> Homebridge is supported for a lot of things to make it so that non HomeKit stuff can be HomeKit stuffed. And it works really well. Um, it honestly seems a lot more responsive than the uh, garage door opener app. So, uh, which is, I think hilarious, but it's, it's an option that you could look into and maybe give us an update next week or, or whenever you figure it out. So. Yeah. My, my only thing is this is like a, apparently a new, like AC systems, so I'm not sure that anyone mm. has uh, reverse engineered the API for it. So uh, I will have to look into that. Yeah, um, there's a pretty good community, like Reddit and stuff. I think there are a couple subreddits and stuff that you could look into for Homebridge. So cool. We'll give Hopefully that a that. try. Yeah, I'm still waiting for them to reply. I I, I left a nicely worded. I I told Spencer I'd leave a very nasty worded email <laughs> um, of like. Uh, cheating uh, via like false advertisement uh, but I, I left a, a nicely worded email of, like maybe I'm not finding it maybe I'm dumb uh, and they have not gone back to me so I'm getting close to uh, exploding uh, but yeah. I can explode with everyone here so maybe this will get it off my chest yes. uh, because all in all I'm more or less happy with the AC I'm just like a little pissed that they essentially lied um, yeah. and I hate the fact that I, I likely know that they did lie rather than like oh maybe they did make a mistake because there's nothing that indicates that there's any home kit support whatsoever yeah give them um, the benefit of the doubt i guess yeah so i will wait like a week before uh yeah. being like at least using reply. look use reply your, your... To the email use your <laughs> platform of i don't know how many followers we have to blast them on twitter and you know that's what we do around here oh i checked yeah. they they don't have a twitter presence they have <laughs> the ceo of the company last tweeted like five years ago or something Ooh, um okay. and that's their twitter presence so yeah well, not not useful dang it. i tried <laughs> almost used our very powerful platform of 468 followers to to for justice <laughs> weaponizing our platform for justice <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, I guess titles. <laughs> yeah, we got plenty. Uh, make sure it's hunky dory. Got him. Uh, everything is a bad idea. That's that's a given. Yeah. Uh, a lot of gotchas. Your concurrent your concurrent code is borked. <laughs> Weaponized air platform. I like this one, but it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, so I'm gonna leave that aside. Uh, your concurrent cur- your concurrent code is borked. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Relevant. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Do we capitalize B? Not if it's got the O. Darn you, title case. (laughs) We need a lowercase zero. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lowercase zero. (laughs) That just broke me for a second. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see ya. Bye.